I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k flats. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Are you ready? To First Amendment Friday on the Lars Larson Show. Happy Friday. Friday is for everybody. Today, Lars puts you in the driver's seat. You talk about what you want to talk about. Government is the problem. No topic is off limits. You're a lying dog faced pony soldier. Call 866 Hey Lars. That's 866 Hey Lars. Thank goodness it's Friday. Happy Friday. This is. This is. First Amendment Friday with Lars Larson. My memory is so bad I let you speak. Yeah, that's Joe Biden. And last night he was trying to, well, he was trying to correct some things because he felt that he had been attacked and attacked not by Donald Trump, attacked not by MAGA Americans, that Joe Biden was attacked by his own Department of Justice. And in fact, his White House counsel came out today to say why the president has come under attack from his own Department of Justice. And they talked about all the indignity of it, suggesting that Joe Biden has a bad memory. You know, like when he remembered that the president of Mexico was helping him get aid to Gaza. Yeah, stuff like that. Anyway, welcome to First Amendment Friday, my favorite day of the week. I got a few things to say about that special counsel report, which came out yesterday, and about President Joe Biden's attempt to try to clean up the train wreck with a late night press conference. Never actually a good idea with Joe Biden. He doesn't do well in press conferences to begin with. I mean, if you're thinking about somebody who can actually handle a press conference, you're thinking about the last president of the United States, Donald John Trump. They don't put Joe in front of cameras. They haven't since the campaign. They kept him in his basement. They had him campaign from uh, behind closed doors. They barely let him see reporters. The last time he did a sit-down interview was some time ago. He does not routinely take questions from reporters. And now, well, the chickens are coming home to roost. Anyway, welcome to the program. If you want to jump in to what we call the best conversation in talk journalism, it's always right here at 866 Halo. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. So Joe's presser last night was a train wreck. But let me tell you what really matters about all of this. What matters is the theft of classified documents. And when the theft was carried out by a man who now sits in the Oval Office and is President of the United States because of a fraudulent election then it's even worse. Joe Biden's own Department of Justice has now decided that Joe Biden is too senile to prosecute. Not that there's not a, a case there. 
And even though the White House tried to do that and say that today, the special counsel's report says there is a case there. Joe Biden willfully took classified documents. He took them to his home. He himself has admitted doing this as long ago as 50 years ago in 1974. And he hung on to those documents. But worse than that, Biden brags that he took those classified documents way back when he first became a United States senator. And by the way, if you're wondering, U.S. senators have no authority to take classified documents out of the government take them home, and hang on to them for the next several decades. So Biden held this disastrous news conference last night to deny what his own Department of Justice has actually confirmed. He stole classified documents, he kept them, and he shared them with folks who do not have a security clearance. Now, I call that theft. U.S. Code calls it a crime, but Special Counsel Robert Herr, even though he works for the Biden DOJ, even though he came to the conclusion after more than 300 pages of a report that was put together after an investigation of Joe Biden's theft of classified documents, he said there's a case there. The problem is if you bring it in front of a jury, they're going to look at this, to quote from the report, elderly old man with a bad memory, and they're going to feel sorry for him. So. He didn't recommend that Joe Biden be indicted. He didn't say there wasn't a case, as Joe Biden's White House is trying to say today. So how dim is Joe Biden? What did the report show? Joe Biden's vice presidency ended only seven years ago, but Joe can't remember when he was vice president. He actually said in 2009, uh, was I still the vice president? No, you had just begun to be vice president in 2009 after the 2008 election. Anybody who follows politics knows that. He also questioned, was I still vice president in 2013? Yep, Joe, you had three more years to go at that point, but apparently he can't remember something that happened just over a decade ago. He also could not remember within a year or two when his son, his much-beloved son, Bo, who he mentions constantly, he couldn't remember when Bo Biden died nine years ago. Can't remember stuff from nine years ago. And that's not the only thing he can't remember. This week, Joe Biden told reporters about meeting two major world leaders. Only the people he described in one case had died years ago. In the other case, had died three decades ago. But he remembers meeting them after he became president. He misidentified the president of France as the president of Germany. Last night, he told reporters that he was negotiating with the president of Mexico to get aid into Gaza for the Palestinians. He actually meant the president of Egypt. Well, you know, Egypt, Mexico, what's the difference? Can you imagine Democrats this summer renominating Joe for four more years of weekend at Bernie's? The 25th Amendment, by the way, allows removal of a president for incapacity. And yes, I'm well aware that that sticks America with cackling Kamala. But stupid may be better than senile. Now, let me go to the presser from last night, just a couple of sound bites. I want to illustrate for you what exactly is going on. Here's a president who absolutely rejects the notion that he's senile or has a bad memory. Take a listen to this. I know there's some attention paid to some language in the report about my recollection of events. There's even reference that I don't remember when my son died. How in the hell dare he raise that? Frankly, when I was asked the question, I thought to myself, 
Wasn't any of their damn business. Wasn't any of their damn business. Well, hold on a second. You are the president of the United States. There is actually a 25th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution that provides that you can be removed over your objections if your cabinet and your vice president and the House of Representatives agree that you are incapable of doing the job, you can be removed. So it's actually very, very relevant. Listen to Joe Biden talking about the report's description of him as an elderly man with a bad memory. I'm well-meaning, and I'm an elderly man, and I know what the hell I'm doing. I've been president, and I put this country back on its feet. He put the country back on its feet. I'm not aware of that. Actually, I saw him put the country into the ditch. I saw him run inflation to insane levels. I saw him more than double the home mortgage interest rate. I saw him create an economy that is actually punishing to everybody, and I saw him take the U.S. government deficit to two trillion dollars if that's what he means by back on his feet but let me get back to joe biden to or to a uh, bo biden as well bo biden was joe biden's son he died of brain cancer here in america now joe runs around the country telling people that his son died in the iraq war but he has a rosary to remind him of his son test that memory some of you have commented i wear since the day he died every single day the rosary he got from our lady of our Lady of what? Every Memorial Day we hold a service remembering him attending by friends and family and the people who loved him. Yeah, so the rosary that he wears every day to remind him of his son, the son he can't remember when the son died, and the rosary he can't remember the name of the church where he got it nine years ago. It's First Amendment Friday. Glad to be with you. You want to vote in our poll on X. It has to do with whether or not it's time to pull the plug and remove Joe Biden and replace him with somebody else. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. You deserve. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Simply by listening, you're proving how smart you really are. Lars thanks you. I want you to consider. That makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. A lot of nonsense. Right. You're bloody well right. You know you got a right to say. This is the Northwest Nonsense. How much longer do we have to sit for this nonsense? 
that great moment every day where Lars brings you the cold, hard facts without any liberal wokeness from the daily dead, fish wrapper, or mainstream media bias. Oh, I hate it when I jump the gun like that, and so does Joel, my producer. Consider the gaslighting that most citizens get from the failing government-run public schools. They're constantly telling parents, we want your input. Actually, what they mean is, we want your dollars. We could give a damn about your input. Consider what allies of the teachers union at the Oregon legislature have introduced, Senate Bill 1583. It's a brand new law that would take away more local control of your schools. That's right. The schools your kids go to, the schools that you pay for, and you have some control over how those schools run and what they teach. This bill would drastically limit the right of local school boards when it comes to curriculum puts limits on textbooks and material used to teach your kids. Proponents claim that Senate Bill 1583 is aimed at stopping discrimination. It also means that the decision of what kind of ideology gets imposed on your kids in your local schools will be decided not by your school board, but by state bureaucrats at the state capitol. We've seen recently local school boards Thank God, when a slate of conservatives takes office, they ban politics from the classrooms. That's good. They ban sexual and racist indoctrination from classrooms. Also good. Democrats pushing Senate Bill 1583 want to stop local school boards from doing that. If it passes, your local community school board won't have any power to stop sexualized curriculum, for example, or to stop your kids from being taught by a government employee that they're either bad or good, depending on their skin color. So what would be left for school boards to decide? They don't decide who gets fired or hired. That's determined by a union contract and union representatives. They don't decide which books will get used or what is taught or not taught in the classrooms. It seems that school boards, if this law becomes law, will simply be for decoration. Or maybe they'll get a chance to decide what's on the free school lunch menu. Our best email so far today, and this one came in this morning from Mark Lars. I contend that Joe Biden's memory is just as good as mine. Why, just the other day, I bought a bottle of pop for a dime. I had a long talk with Henry Kissinger, voted to abolish slavery, and late at night I carved a wooden propeller for the Wright brothers. I forgot what your name was, but please have a good day, signed Mark. And now today's Daily Grill. Insane. Are you Ridiculous. They get more and more ridiculous. Flat out dumb. You're even dumber than I thought. Who deserves today's Lars Grill of the Day? Maybe they're just really, really stupid. Find out right now. I want to give today's Daily Grill to Oregon State Treasurer Tobias Reed, who's unveiled a plan that is going to cost you a lot of money if he manages to push it through. He wants to, what they do, what they call transition, the Oregon Public Employees Retirement Fund. Yes, the same one that's about 22 to $26 billion upside down in the red. He wants to transform it into a net zero carbon emissions portfolio by 2050. Now, he would cut emissions by 2035 to 60%, meaning that the state investments of tens of billions of dollars would no longer be invested in oil or coal or natural gas or propane or any of the other things that they've determined to have a carbon emissions footprint. The problem with this is current state law tells the state treasurer, you will invest the state's money in the things that bring the greatest legal return. In other words, you buy stocks, you buy bonds, you buy things that make the greatest return. 
Guess what happens if Tobias Reed, who I think has aspirations perhaps to run for governor or other higher office, if he gets this done and they take the state's investments out of the things that produce the greatest return and they accept a lower return, lower interest over on that money over time, then guess what's going to happen? PERS will sink farther into the red. And guess who gets the tab when PERS comes up short? That's right. The taxpayers get it. So Tobias Reed wants to run PERS further upside down and in underwater, in the red, whatever metaphor you want to use, and he's going to make you pay the bill so he can brag about being net zero on carbon emissions. I would challenge Tobias Reed, the state treasurer, to come on the show and explain if you can already invest in things that make just as much or more money that are car net carbon zero, why don't you do it right now? It's within the law for you to do it right now. The only reason he's saying, I want to have this new way of investing the state's money, is so he can invest in things that don't bring a bigger return or as big a return as carbon and oil and other kinds of things like that. The At the end of the day, it's going to mean billions of dollars that are going to have to be paid for by the taxpayers. Today's best email, but you can always send more to talk at LarsLarson.com. John F. writes in, Lars, Washington State wants to raise the cash on property taxes because they say they need the money to continue to fund the state. There are not words strong enough to express how much I am against this bill, 5770. I voted for Initiative 747 back in 2001. It provided some tax relief, property tax relief, but my property taxes still go up. I'm being taxed to the point where I'm seriously contemplating a relocation to somewhere that doesn't tax its citizens to debt. You know what they're proposing? John's right about this. The state of Washington currently has a cap. They can only automatically increase property taxes by 1% a year. They want to triple that to 3% a year. And with the multiplier over years, it's going to absolutely jack property taxes up to the roof. It's going to hurt poor people. It's going to hurt the elderly and people on fixed incomes. And he's absolutely right. And they're doing it even while the state of Washington currently sits on a mountain of money right now. They are surplus, just like the state of Oregon is surplus. But when it comes to Democrats and people in government in general, they never have found a tax they don't like. It's First Amendment Friday. Your calls are welcome at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Naysayers go to the head of the line. If we, We've had some good naysayers this last week. Uh, you can send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And the poll on X, you can find it at Lars Larson Show. Joe Biden's own Department of Justice says he is too senile to be prosecuted. Is he too senile for the presidency? I'd say yes to that. You can vote on it any way you like. Uh, it's brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at ultimatetruckservice.com. Let's go to Ron. Hey, Ron, thanks for listening in Salem on the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? What's on my mind, Lars, besides dementia, Joe, uh, taking my money? Uh, this The state of Oregon, I... Uh, to hit the point on Senate Bill 1583, House Bill 1583, I met the Secretary of Department of Education on Tuesday. And I says, what the heck? I'm sorry to change the subject on you, but the point is this. They want control of all of our schools without the wilderness of the people. This bill, 1583, is a segregational Joe Crow type of bill. I mean, you're bringing back segregation and taking away parental rights of educating our children. 
You're going to tell kids that if they have white skin, they are oppressors, and if they have brown or black skin, that they are victims, and they're really not capable of much without assistance from their liberal friends. And and you're absolutely right. That kind of indoctrination has been stopped in communities when voters elect a conservative bunch of school board members. So what do the liberals in uh, with 1583 want to do? They want to take all those decisions away from local communities and send them right down to Salem. Ron, thanks for the call. Back in a moment, you got the Lars the Larson, Lars show. Larson show. Just think of him as your concealed carry. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. i got to tell you something. In Oregon, state lawmakers are trying to convince the public they don't want to change Oregon's drug laws very much, even though the state's experiment, a radical experiment with drug legalization, uh, put on the ballot and then uh, fueled to victory with $5 million from about 3,000 miles away. A drug policy organization uh, on the east coast of the United States drove that decision in Oregon. And yes, the voters voted for it. It is now killing at least a 1,000 people a year and maybe more, depending on how you count the numbers. It is bringing crazy levels of crime to the region. And I thought we talked with our friend Josh Marquis, the retired district attorney, about a hearing that was held this week uh, in which they purported to take uh, evidence and testimony from the public about what the public wants. Josh, welcome back. And you sat and watched that thing, didn't you? I did for almost four hours. And this is the only, by the way, public hearing the legislature is going to hold on uh, what they call House Bill 4002, which is the reconsideration. Of, of Measure 110, which was passed by 58% of voters in 2000, but polling by the premier polling operation, DHM, says that 64% of Oregonians, if they could cast their vote today, would repeal it. So in other words, almost two to one for repeal just, what, two years after it was passed by 58%. So a solid majority wanted it. They've seen what it does. And just that short time later, two-thirds of the people in the state want to get rid of that law. And state lawmakers, you know, uh, dominated by Democrats, your party, have said, no, we want to make as small a change as possible, I guess, and let the killing go on. Well, it's even worse than that. Um, this is, of course, a short session, meaning that there's only 30 days. And generally, you just it, the, the idea is not to take on major legislation. It's very hard to do that. I think what the Democratic majority is attempting to do is make it look like they're doing something while doing nothing. Um, there was a calculated turnout. I mean, obviously, we know what the, the polls and just talking to people in Portland, everywhere in Oregon, and you learn that overwhelmingly people think Measure 110 is a disaster and you just have to, you know, drive you downtown Portland. Nonetheless, the vast majority of the people testifying yesterday, I would say 75 to 80 percent of those, were urging that they do nothing, and not even what the Democratic Party has floated. The Democratic Party majority is floating an idea that is so weak that it's almost non-existent. They want to create a Class C misdemeanor, which is the lowest level. The only thing that even comes close is if you went into a store and knocked over a store display but didn't actually damage anything or steal anything, that's called criminal mischief in the third degree. 
it's, it's just it's a crime that's almost never charged because it's so minor. So that would be possession of drugs. It would be the lowest possible crime. And, of course, the reason they're doing that is the signal to the cops and the justice system is do nothing. But even then, oh, it's worse. There's more. They say there can be no fines, no assessments, no court-appointed attorney's fees. And you, know, you automatically, if you get convicted of this minor, minor, minor charge, it's automatically wiped off your record without you having to do anything. Even if you refuse to go through a treatment program, we'll wipe it out. So, I mean, that's really sort of a bad Well, and, and Josh, I, I understand it's a short session, but frankly, this could have been done in a morning. If you said, did we pass, yeah. did the voters pass a law two years ago? Yes. Has, is it currently killing at least a thousand people every year because we change the way things are done? Yes. Did it work before for literally decades as drug defendants uh, charged with felonies would show up in front of a judge and be told, would you like to have a felony conviction? Uh, and maybe go to prison, but certainly get a felony record, or would you prefer treatment? And 95%, according to the judges I talked to, said 95% of the people offered that choice said, I'll take treatment. And if they stayed on treatment for a year, they got rid of the felony. The felony never existed. Nobody went to prison. The crime never existed. The, the crime never existed. Time. So that worked. And so if you say, how long does it take to, to make the decision? If you say a decision was made, People are dying by the thousands because of it. We can go back to the old system that actually worked, and we can that that decision should take ten seconds, even for a Democrat, shouldn't it? It should, and even if they don't, if they want to say, "Oh, I'm going to stand up for the Drug Policy Alliance," which interesting is the group that the DC-based group that's funded largely by George Soros, that funded ninety-eight percent of Measure One Ten out of DC. And oh, by but the tell, way, tell my audience what else that organization likes to give money to in the way of candidates? Oh, anybody who's anti-law enforcement. Uh, Mike Schmidt, the current district attorney in Portland, heavily funded by Drug Policy Alliance. I mean, this is basically an anti-law so, enforcement. So just so people understand how the, how the dots get connected, if these folks, the Democrats who dominate the legislature, because Washington State has the same problem and they've they've done exactly the same thing, which is nothing. Right. But if they say yes. we're going to take Measure One Ten, we're going to throw it, uh, we're going to kick it to the curb, they stand to lose one of their bigger donors to their reelection oh, campaigns, absolutely. right? Well, it's at both. It's at both ends. Not only would they be on. I mean, again. Uh, the, the two co-chairs of this committee um, are uh, Jason Kropp, who was briefly a deputy DA under a Soros DA who's no longer in office in Bend, and the other is Kate Lieber, uh, who I think was a deputy DA for a couple of years in Portland. They are both, like every major Democrat in the legislature, huge personal beneficiaries of, you guessed it, the Drug Policy Alliance. Lars, but you know what? They don't even have to go that far. I won't even ask them to do the right thing and listen to their constituents. All they really have to do is say, we are just going to put this back in front of the voters. That is literally a 15-minute discussion. And then they can stand up to their lords and masters the Drug Policy Alliance of the ACLU and all the groups that were testifying Wednesday night, terrified that their quarter billion dollar, you know, uh, uh, turkey is going to get killed off and say, hey, listen, 
we didn't take it away. We just we just turned it back over to the voters. But they were not going to do that because they know what the voters will do if given a chance. Because they know what the voters will do. Hey, Josh, i got to ask you about something else. Now, the story of the day yesterday and today has been this. Can it be possible to be too senile to be indicted and prosecuted for a crime and still not be so senile that you can't serve in the most powerful political position on planet Earth? Well, there have been uh, circumstances in which uh, United States senators, um, I, I can remember... Uh, well, Fetterman's a good example, but... Watching. Well, you know, Strom Thurmond was being wheeled around, and he literally had five-by-seven cards when he was the chair of the Senate committee, and if he got the wrong five-by-seven cards. Obviously, I don't think, I know you're talking about Biden, and uh, if he really is incompetent, he shouldn't be president, but unfortunately, we have a history in this country of allowing people who have, shall we say, beyond their prime to continue to hold office. Yeah, except that when they sat down to interview him, and he couldn't remember when he was vice president, and that only ended seven years ago. He couldn't remember when his very much beloved son, Bo Biden, died, and that was only nine years ago. When he can't remember major chunks of recent history, personal history, does that tell you something meaningful about whether or not Joe Biden is competent to be the most powerful chief executive on Earth? Well, what would be really interesting to know is I'm assuming he was given a test called the MOCA test. It means Montreal Cognitive Assessment. I'm willing to bet he has not. They aren't going to go anywhere. There are people calling for him to have a cognitive test. I don't think he's going to go anywhere it's near it. a very it. simple one. Even a nurse can administer it. It's well, I, I, I got to tell you something. I think, I think Joe Biden's wife, Jill Biden, is guilty of elder abuse, and I wish she could be prosecuted for it. Josh Marquis is former district attorney. It's First Amendment Friday. Glad to get your phone calls and emails. Uh, we got a lot to talk about. Coming up, uh, Jim Gossett's song on First Amendment Friday in honor of Joe Biden, elderly Joe. And uh, Native Americans are saying we want different treatment under the law. We'll get to that next, too. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Saying the things you wish you could say. More with lies. Old man, elderly man, Joe's memory is failing. 
DOJ let him walk when he deserves jailing. Excuse a weak excuse, keeping Joe around is elderly abuse. They ought to cut him loose, step down today is what he should do. Resign can't hide behind the clear fact that Joe has lost his mind. Justice should be blind. Joe kept documents, too. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. That's the parody guy, Jim Gossett. You can find him on Patreon under Jim Gossett Comedy. It is First Amendment Friday. It's the Radio Northwest Network, which endeavors every single day of the week to serve the Pacific Northwest, uh, Oregon, Washington, and Idaho with honestly provocative talk. And our poll on X today. And it's a serious question. I've had people say, well, you can't attack Joe Biden. Hey, Joe Biden is his own worst enemy. He stole classified documents. He held on to classified documents. Both of those are crimes. He shared those classified documents with people who didn't have a security clearance. In fact, I would go one step further than the special counsel mentioned. The person he most shared those classified documents who did not have a security clearance was his ghostwriter for his memoir. Do you know how a lot of former presidents and vice presidents make millions of dollars? By selling a memoir, except they have somebody else write it for them. In this case, Joe Biden was doing this for his own personal enrichment. I'd also make the argument that I believe that Hunter Biden, the uh, coked-up, uh, law-breaking uh, son of Joe Biden, uh, was using those classified documents to enhance his reputation as a board member on the natural gas company in Ukraine, from which he made millions of dollars and was angry that he had to share so much of it with the big guy, meaning Joe Biden. But I'd add that one in as well. So Joe Biden's own DOJ says there is a case he did knowingly and willfully withhold classified documents, not when he was senile, but back when he was apparently thinking as straight as any Democrat does. He's too senile to be prosecuted is the conclusion they reached. Is he now, said by his own DOJ, too senile to be president? And in, in that case, should he be removed from office? Uh, today's poll on X, which I would answer, yes, he is too senile to be president. You can find it at Lars Larson Show on X. You can also find it on our website at LarsLarson.com. Brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at UltimateTruckService.com. And if you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. And on a First Amendment Friday, everything is fair game. If you're a naysayer, we'll put you right to the head of the list at 866-439-5277. Let's go to Stilgar, who's in Issaquah, listening on KVI and the Radio Northwest Network. Stilgar, what's on your mind? Well, I uh, apparently have a bit of an unusual take, so I thought maybe I would share it with you. What do you think? So I'd love to hear it. Uh, well, the so they're they're concerned about property taxes because apparently they're not getting enough of our money, but they let people uh, shoplift up to you know in case some cases up to thousands of dollars, but they don't seem to be concerned about the sales tax money that they're losing with all of that. Oh, that's a very so good point. Like, it seems like they're. Uh, they're cutting their own nose off to spite their face on some of that in terms of, you know, they, they're losing that. And as I understand it, the businesses can write off the shrinkage. So they're probably losing some B&O taxes on that as well. 
I would imagine. And it probably adds up to a considerable sum. But, I mean, I remember that famously Al Capone was not convicted of murder. He was convicted of tax evasion. But would it really give you a better hook to get after people who are shoplifting if you caught somebody and said, instead of charging you with shoplifting, we're going to charge you with tax evasion? Well, you could part part of it is you could move it out of some of the local DAs, I suppose, potentially, and move it to either the, you know the state level or something like that, where there might be uh, more inclination to prosecute. Especially if you're getting if you've got one of these rings going on, where you know it's not just somebody you know running out with a bag with a loaf of bread or a, a bag of apples, which of course doesn't really happen anyway. But and the the only uh, the only hitch in that one is that the guy who'd be prosecuting would be Bob Ferguson. This guy who wants to be uh, governor of the state of Washington. I mean, he desperately wants to be governor. But as attorney general, I think he's pretty useless when it comes to crime. I don't think he gives a damn about crime, whether it's drug crime or property crime or anything else. He's uh, he's never I've never seen him give any indication that he wants to go after criminals. If anything, he's like every other Democrat out there. They want to figure new excuses for not prosecuting criminals and uh, and for giving them lighter sentences. Still, Gar. It's an interesting idea, though, and I'll throw it out there for consideration. And speaking of giving a light treatment, do you know there's a bill, House Bill 2065, this one in Olympia? And here's what they say the problem is. They say that when people are sentenced for their adult crimes and they feature a, a murder in this, uh, in this particular story, they say, but they're considering their juvenile record. Well, why not? In this case, this guy got convicted as an adult uh, for, of murder, and he got a tougher sentence because they took a look at his juvenile record, and they say that's done more often with Native Americans. Now, I don't think that they should say, well, we're going to treat Native Americans differently than we treat anybody else. But if they're telling you that they'd like to take a look at somebody's juvenile crimes and then weigh that as they decide what to sentence you for an adult crime, I got no problem with that whatsoever. Back in a moment, it's First Amendment Friday, live on the Radio Northwest Network. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Welcome 
to First Amendment Friday on the Lars Larson Show. Happy Friday. Friday is for everybody. Today, Lars puts you in the driver's seat. You talk about what you want to talk about. Government is the problem. No topic is off limits. You're a lying dog face pony soldier. Call 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-HEY-LARS. Thank goodness it's Friday. Happy Friday. Friday. This is First Amendment Friday with Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show on First Amendment Friday. I want to call out some lies because I think these lies are particularly evil because they involve a ton of your money. They involve parents. They involve children. They involve the future of the entire country. But here in the Pacific Northwest, you've got school districts that routinely will say why we want the parents' input. We want to know what parents think about the way we're educating their kids. Except that lately, they seem to have all adopted, maybe not that lately, Ed Deal will tell me otherwise, but they seem to have adopted the Terry McAuliffe position. He's the guy who ran for governor in Virginia a few years ago and got blown up because he actually stood on a, a stage and said the quiet part out loud. He said... Parents have no business telling us what we teach their kids. And he actually said those words. And a lot of us went, hold on a second. The government is now telling citizens you have no business telling us what we should teach your kids and what we shouldn't. I don't think the schools give a damn about parental input. What they do want is parental cash. They want taxes. They want bond measures. They want levies. They want all that stuff. Well, now they're saying the quiet part out loud down to the Oregon legislature. So I wanted to talk to Representative Ed Deal, who represents Oregon's District 17. Ed, welcome back to the program. Hey, great to be back, Lars. Thank you. Have I overstated it by suggesting that uh, Senate Bill 1583 now says school boards, you have nothing to say about curriculum. And I, I got to thinking, well, if they if they don't say anything about curriculum, and uh, they don't decide who gets hired and fired. Maybe they have some input on the superintendent, maybe not. Uh, they don't certainly, most school boards can't fire a teacher, can't, do, you know, can't do much of anything. So they have nothing to say about personnel, nothing to say about the direction the district is taking. And now if they have nothing to say about curriculum, what the hell is a school board for? Deciding the lunch menu? I, I know. The one thing that we have to block big government overreach is the school board because they are elected by the local community. And this bill, Senate Bill 1583, is pretty clear on what it's trying to do. It is trying to block the right of local school boards to control the, the textbooks and instructional materials and the books they have in their library. And they, you know, they disguise it as a protecting against discrimination, but we know what the intent is. The intent is to block the school boards from removing ideologic, ideologically driven content that would harm kids. That we know that's what they're what they're going for. Well, and Ed, I got to. I've, I've got this eight year old yeah. granddaughter, almost eight year old granddaughter. I, I love her to death, but I got to tell you something. I think discrimination in many cases is a good thing. When Tina and I go out and we buy books for her all the time, and she loves books, we are very discriminating about books. When we decide where we might take her out to dinner, she's almost eight, and you know we don't give her the whole choice. We are very discriminating when it comes to where we're going to take her to dinner and what kind of food she's going to be able to eat, because she's not quite eight, and she's not making yeah. all those decisions yet, thank God. And, uh, and so... You should have some discrimination, shouldn't you? If you're deciding, should we put a bunch of sexualized material in front of five and six and seven year olds in school? 
you should be discriminating about that, shouldn't you? You should be, and frankly, you have to. You can't have every book. You have, you have to choose, and you have to use criteria. And what they're trying to do is make it, say, say you choose a less sexually explicit uh, textbook for your class, uh, you may have lawyers coming after you saying you're discriminating against a certain protected class by choosing that textbook over the other. And, and by protected they, class, you yeah. generally mean the LGBTQ, correct? Well, in this case, yes. They they call out. Um, there, there's a number of categories they have, but the one that we're we're sure they're targeting is transgender. And we know that there have been there have been books that really go against our fundamental understanding of biology and human nature. They go against science. They're pushing these things. Some of them are very sexually explicit. And parents are very outspoken. And we've been successful putting more uh, folks on school boards to push back on this. The progressive majority in the legislature is seeing that, and they don't like it. And they are putting this law in place to scare school boards from doing the right thing for the community. And by the way, some of those school, and we've followed those school board cases where they'll elect a slate of yeah. conservative people who do what I thought was, was very sensible. Uh, in the case of Newberg, they said, let's have no mm. politics in the classroom. And I was okay with that, even if no politics yeah. meant no conservative or liberal. Take all the politics out. Although most of what the kids got stuffed with was liberal politics, you know, uh, Antifa, BLM, all that nonsense. We you say, okay, take all the politics out. Take take all the overt sexuality outside of a health education class. Take all that stuff out as well. And, and the liberals went absolutely bananas when those three conservatives got elected to the school board. And that's when they changed the law where uh, you couldn't terminate a superintendent, separate a one-year wait. So they they are trying to push this this Portland centric agenda across the entire state, and it's just unacceptable. Local control and school boards are the last bastion we have to being able to keep our public our public schools where they're working for our kids, and and they're trying to take that away. Just so people know, it's Senate Bill one five eight three fifteen eighty three. Who's behind this? Is it all Democrats? Are there any Republicans that have said this is a good idea? No, no, there's no Republicans. It's uh, uh, Democrats on the Senate side and the House side. Now, have, and, have, can you kill this thing? Uh, from the looks of the signatories on it, it looks like it's a priority to them. Uh, I, I don't know if we could kill it. Um, it's coming in on the Senate side, so I have not discussed what their strategy is. But I know we need to be very strong in our opposition vocally to it. And have, I know have the hearings have been, been held yet, Ed? No, the hearing is on Tuesday the 13th. And uh, a lot of people have been signing up online to go testify against the bill and, and sign up to speak in person. Can, can I suggest something? Because whoever yeah. you've got on that sign-up list, why don't you have them bring some of these objectionable materials and read those parts aloud and say, this is what you want to put in front of our kids. This is what you would forbid the school district from restricting. And say it's not about black and white. It's not about race or skin color. It's about this stuff. And read some of it aloud. Because 
I've I've seen parents do exactly that. And some of the stuff is so nasty that there are adults on school boards that say you can't read that in public. You say, well, you can't read it in public. How can you how can you shove it down the throat of an eight year old? Yeah, I know. I've seen them shut down people in, in the school board meetings. Do it in the committee. Given to their children. And I wouldn't be surprised if that uh, if that happens. I, I hope that's exactly what happens. That's Ed Deal. Ed Deal represents Oregon's District 17 in the House of Representatives. The, and I would love to hear a naysayer on this. Somebody tell me that local communities should not be able to decide what kind of curriculum, what kind of books, and what kind of nasty stuff gets put in front of your kids. And if you cut that out of school boards, then why are they there at all? You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k flats. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. Today at OregonGunLaw.com. Keeping you happy, informed, and always guessing what he'll say next, here's Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's First Amendment Friday. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm glad to get to your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. Naysayers, I'm going to go to one in just a moment. Naysayers always go to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Our poll on X today, Joe Biden's own Department of Justice says that the president is too senile to be prosecuted for the crimes that he admits committing uh, with classified documents. He took classified documents, he stole them, uh, he hung on to them, and he shared them with people who had no business having access to those classified documents. And yet and still, even though the DOJ says he willfully did these crimes, he will not be prosecuted because his own DOJ says he's just too senile and has too weak a memory to ever be prosecuted. On that note, it's First Amendment Friday, so let's start with an ace here. Hey, John, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Well, maybe it'll go away if they let uh, senile Joe play with the football. But anyways, I'm going to disagree with you with your understanding of this. Uh, the what, John? Oh, John didn't disappear. He was just heading into something I thought would be interesting. John, are you there? Hello? Yeah, yeah you dropped, your, your phone dropped out for a moment. You were saying, what is it you and I disagree about that makes you a nation? Well, well, I don't think you realize that drug treatment, treatment options for long-term addicts is available. And uh, It is available. I, 
No, it's not. I've got a friend. I can give you her number, and you can call well, her. John, trying to get I got, into a can, I, can, I, can I add something? Measure 110, passed two years ago by the voters by a large majority, provided more than $250 million for treatment. So the treatment is available. People do, people choose not to go into it uh, that, is the problem. They can't they can't get into it. I can give you the name of a person. You can they've been trying to get it. They want to kick the habit. They've been on the street eleven years and they want to change and they can't. They need to go to a residential uh, treatment program. And I know you say, well, maybe you could live with relatives, but so many people. No, I've never said that about. I've said that about homelessness. I've not said it about drugs. You know the the program your friend could go into is Salvation Army. They they take they take people and hold them and they put them to work and they they don't hold them against their will. If well, somebody really want hold on, listen for a moment and I'll tell you something and you'll learn something. Salvation okay, Army, Salvation Army, Salvation. Uh, you can respond, but listen first. Salvation Army knows that these thirty day treatment programs do not work. They know that people need to be in a minimum of six months perhaps as long as a year. But Salvation Army puts people to work. They give them a place to live. They, they give them food. They make sure they're taken care of. But they get them off the drugs. And they have a tremendous track record of success. I'd be willing to bet you, I'd bet you 20 bucks, your friend has never done that. Because if your friend's been on drugs for 10 or 11 years, my guess is he or she doesn't really want to quit. They just say, I'd quit if somebody would give me a residential treatment program. But they're, you know, go to Salvation Army. They will put you in that program. And like I said, they have a track record of success. Yeah. Well, the work it might be a little bit because they're probably going to be puking for the first two, three weeks. And, you know, they, they'd go into one program for a while. All they do is throw a box at them and send them back to the tent. And that just doesn't work. That's that's not what I'm talking about, though. And, John, what they found was, for example, in the first year of Measure 110, the police who were only allowed to write tickets if they caught somebody with hard drugs, which used to be a felony, they'd write them a ticket. They wrote more than 6,000 tickets. They said, will you call this phone number and talk to somebody about treatment? 500 of those 6,000, less than 1 in 10, actually called the number. Of that 500, 50 of them indicated they were interested in getting treatment. So if you want to know why I think the, the current system of simply saying we're going to write you a ticket, we're going to treat it like a minor's crime, and you aren't going to be threatened with a possible felony isn't working. Now, I can tell you that I've talked to drug court judges who describe the old system, you know, which only ended two years ago, which said to people, you've been accused of a felony, would you like to have a felony conviction and go to jail or prison for a time, or would you like to go into treatment? And if you go into treatment and stick at it for at least a year, and they, they, the judges even told me, we knew people were going to fall off the wagon during that year, but they'd get back on if they really wanted to quit, that after a year they would say your felony is forgiven and you've had a year's worth of treatment. And that tended to work. Except the liberals yeah, say we don't want to even threaten people if, with if, jail. If treatment programs are open, to accept them. Because I know someone that did get treatment and kicked their alcoholism. You have but, one example. Uh, you know, their their husband uh, was a CEO for uh, Budweiser, and they had a, so, a good. So that means he that means plan. he had great great medical care provisions, 
and decided. Yeah, they went and, to a treatment center down in yeah, California. John, John, are you telling me the current system is working better where nobody goes to treatment and we have over a thousand deaths last year and we're going to probably hit 1,300 according to the estimates this year? You're saying this is better? I'm just saying it, the openings need to be there. The money shouldn't be wasted. Well, $250 million has been allocated to it. And nothing's happening. Let's go to another naysayer. I love this. John, what do you and I disagree? Welcome to the show, first of all. What do you and I disagree about that makes you a naysayer today? Um, yeah, a lot with the, the gentleman that was just talking on the air. Because I spent most of my life, uh, I guess, a homeless, but the police called me a transient. Yeah. Okay, and? And my, my thing is, a lot of people, like, with SNAP and all that, even Food though they changed it for me. Well, yeah, but that was the only thing I lived on. Why didn't I you get did. a job? I did. I was a plumber. They just, I'm not licensed in the state of Oregon or Washington. Well, well get licensed. I mean, the plumbers are in high demand, and they get paid very, very well. Yeah, but that's also where it gets into politics. How does it get into politics? Well, because I, I got hurt. I got disabled. Now I'm on disability because of it. But I got kicked out of uni because I couldn't pay the dues. Now, hold on a second. Tell me this. What was your, What is your disability right now? I blew my whole left shoulder out. Okay. Did you find another way of making a living? Yeah, I did. Doing it on the ground plumbing. I had to work. Oh, so illegally. Well, you know, I just told me needed something done. I just went and did it. But I yeah. was homeless in Seattle. I did the addition to Kingdom before they blew it up way back when. Okay, but, John, you keep changing the subject. Tell me what is it you and I disagree about it when it comes to people living in tents, shooting heroin, and smoking meth? Well, no, that I don't. I don't allow that at all next to school, especially the other lady that said move to school. That was John. Can I try one more time? What do you and I disagree about that makes you a naysayer, as you told the producer? Okay, okay. When they're they're not allowed to buy hot food, is it like now with oh with the EB with SNAP? Because SNAP yeah. is not supposed to be your whole food budget. It is a supplemental to your food budget. You want it to be your entire food budget, no, no, and you no, want to be able to go take takeout food based on your SNAP card? I'd have loved to get a burger at McDonald's, not to what it costs now. Well, I understand that, but, John, a lot of uh, tax-paying citizens who don't have SNAP would like to be able to afford a burger, and you're telling them, you're paying my groceries, and I want you to buy me a hamburger. I'll tell you what, John, beggars can't be choosers, and I'm sorry, but that's the way it comes down. It's First Amendment Friday. Your calls are welcome at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. It's First Amendment Friday, and you're listening to The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. Like this, people are going to talk. 
Here's Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you. I want to talk about doctor-assisted suicide. Now, I happen to have made my home for a long time in the state of Oregon, which had doctor-assisted suicide. Uh, apparently the first government on planet Earth, although there more recently we may have found out there was a country that had uh, official doctor-assisted suicide. There were a lot of countries on planet Earth that kind of did it with a wink and a nod, but Oregon was the first place where it was fully legalized as state-sanctioned murder of people who were terminally ill. And then we've been watching as Canada has gotten crazier and crazier with its doctor-assisted suicide. And now Wesley Smith, our friend who writes uh, for, uh, for National Review, among other places, he's a senior fellow at the Discovery Institute Center on Human Exceptionalism, and he's saying that the Democrats are on the verge of creating functional, nationalized, assisted suicide. Wesley, welcome back. Thanks, Lars. Well, good to talk to you again. I've never kept my audience in the dark. I'm against suicide, period. And it's not just faith beliefs, it's other beliefs as well, but my faith factors into that too. Uh, but, but even if, even if my faith didn't lead me that direction, I'd look at the way that doctor assisted suicide has worked out or not worked out. And I think it's mostly the latter rather than the former. But what are the Democrats proposing to do that might turn us into a country with doctor-assisted suicide? How's that going to happen? Yeah, it's very interesting. Uh, they've always tried to, nat I'm not saying just Democrats, but the, the uh, euthanasia activists have always tried to nationalize uh, this agenda. In fact, back in 97, they brought a case to the United States Supreme Court, Glucksburg v. Washington, seeking a Roe v. Wade for assisted suicide. Instead, uh, the court ruled nine to zero, which is pretty rare uh, in a controversial issue, um, that there is no constitutional right to assisted suicide. And the deep irony there is that the Glucksburg case, which uh, I actually wrote an amicus brief in that case uh, for the court, uh, became the primary precedent for overturning Roe v. Wade. So uh, when they tried to get a, press, a, a Roe v. Wade assisted suicide, it ended up euthanizing Roe v. Wade. But these guys never quit. And so what they're doing now is they're beginning to do away with residential requirements for assisted suicide. Uh, when, when these laws uh, are proposed, we're always told strict guidelines will protect against abuse, one of which is uh, residency, that you, you won't become a place like Switzerland where they have suicide clinics. Well, Oregon, your home state, and Vermont have already overturned the residency requirement that they once had so that somebody from Iowa can go to Oregon or to Vermont uh, and get assisted suicide. Now, what is the state interest of Oregon in having somebody from Iowa or Ohio come to that to Oregon for assisted suicide? None. It's cultural imperialism. Uh, Colorado's... Uh, Legislature is now considering doing away with residency requirements, which would then give uh, a uh, suicide uh, a clinic state uh, in the heart of, heartland of the country. Uh, Illinois has an assisted suicide uh, proposal in front of its legislature that does not contain a residency requirement. So what they do is they uh, promise strict guidelines. As soon as the law is in, the guidelines that they say were protections suddenly become obstacles and they start to chip away and loosen the regulations to the point that we will end up with Canada if they get their way.
Yeah, and in fact, would you mind describing for my audience wh how far Canada has been willing to go? And in fact, in fact, I think there was one more iteration they were going after, and they put it on hold for a while. But they're willing to kill a lot of people who are not terminally ill, aren't they? It, yeah, it's estimated that in 2023, 16,000 people in Canada would be euthanized. In 2022, it was uh, 13,000 plus. Canada allows lethal injection euthanasia. Uh, doctors uh, are required to participate in the in the places like Ontario, where if a patient comes and says, I want to be dead and, and qualifies under the law, which is very broad, uh, then the doctor either must do it or must find another doctor willing to do it. They call that an effective referral, so that every doctor in Canada may end up having to be complicit uh, in the taking of innocent human life. Uh, they have conjoined organ harvesting with euthanasia, in Ontario and Quebec, if uh, a patient goes to a doctor, asks to be killed, the doctor says, okay, I'll kill you. He, the doctor then contacts the organ procurement uh, organization that calls the patient and says, can we have your liver? Uh, the um, original Canada, and it was only in 2015 or so that Canada legalized this because of a court ruling, um, they've gone from reasonable foreseeable of death which was the standard to allowing people with terminal with terminal illnesses, chronic illnesses, disabilities, frail elderly, et cetera, et cetera. They were going to include the mentally ill uh, last year. It got put off to this year, and it just was recently put off a couple more years because they don't have enough of an infrastructure to actually kill the mentally ill. Uh, it really is a uh, terrible thing. And in Canada, you're now seeing patients who, uh, let's say, diagnosed with cancer, there are at least two cases, who wanted treatment but couldn't get it because of the incredible cues in Canada that had to wait months for their treatment, so opted instead for euthanasia. And and what that means, I mean, because I don't think Americans really, many of them, will will recognize just how bad it can be in Canada, where I've seen a few people on Instagram. In fact, there was a young lady who said, yeah, I've got this illness. It's perfectly treatable. I'm in huge pain. But the wait time in Canada may be up to a year. So they say, well, you're going to be in this kind of pain for the next year, or you could kill yourself. And, and you and I both yeah. know we've already seen people who say had cancer and said, can I get treatment for my cancer? Well, I'm sorry, that treatment doesn't pencil out very well. It only buys a few more years for thousands of dollars. So we won't give you that, but we will give you the ability to kill yourself. They're going to give people a Hobson's yeah, choice. I mean, it's They're, actually being killed. It's being killed by a doctor. Not You don't yeah. even have to do it yourself. And uh, also, by the way, back in this country, uh, Vermont, uh, I believe Oregon, too, allows uh, assisted suicide by telemedicine. So somebody from, let's say, Ohio might be able to contact a death doctor in Oregon and uh, and do all of the procedures, you know, the invest, you know, the uh, interviews and that kind of thing. Send the records to that doctor in Oregon, and then they get a prescription and fly to Oregon and be made dead. I would may perhaps never even having met the doctor. So the idea is to expand this and have as many assisted suicides and euthanasias as possible because this is an ideological development. Now, in Canada, they're beginning to talk about all the money they're saving in the healthcare system by killing people instead of caring for them. And if we uh, ever have this take off in the way it has in Canada, that'll be the talk here, too.
Well, can you imagine? Uh, I, I've been telling people that having 10 million new people, most of them uninsured, descend on the country through this border invasion we've had. We're already hearing about hospitals that are saying we're going to be closing or closing up our emergency room because we're overwhelmed by the tsunami of people. And, and most of them have no medical coverage whatsoever. So they just show up, they get treatment, and the hospital sinks further into the red ink. That when that happens, that may be the, the thing that the left, and in this case, I think it is political, the left will use to say, you see, we need a national health care system because we've created the emergency by having this giant invasion and all these people need medical care and we have to provide it. They're going to get it one way or another uh, through either charity care from the hospitals, which ends up being paid for by everybody else, and uh, insurance is too expensive. So they'll declare, well, it's time to go to a... Uh, you know, nationalized health care like Canada has. And then the state will have a vested interest in seeing if they can make sure they extinguish you soon enough that they save a lot of money. You can read about what he writes, usually posted at National Review, but also at the Discovery Institute Center on Human Exceptionalism. He is Wesley Smith. And Wesley, thank you very much for the time. Back in a moment on a First Amendment Friday. Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. You're listening to the Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. the best investment in talk radio and it's free lars larson welcome back to the lars larson show it's a pleasure to be with you on first amendment friday always glad to get to your phone calls and emails at 866 hey lars that's 866-439-5277 send your emails to talk at larslarson.com our poll on x today you can find it at lars larson show joe biden's own department of justice says he is too senile to be prosecuted even though they made the case that he willfully committed crimes by taking classified documents, holding them, and even sharing them with people who had no business seeing them. Is he too senile for the presidency? I'd say yes. He is too senile for the presidency. You can vote any way you like at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. Brought to you by Ultimate Truck Services. If you rely on trucks for business, Ultimate keeps your biggest assets on the road and running right. Find them at UltimateTruckService.com. Let's go to uh, Brad. 
Uh, Brad, thanks for calling in from Port Orchard, and thanks for listening on KVI and the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind today? Oh, my pleasure. Uh, happy to, to be with you on it. Um, first of all, I'd love to call in as a naysayer, but I can't seem to be able to find a time to do that and still call myself an <laughs> Mildly keep, working at, keep working at it. You'll find. I, I always, I always have people, Brad, say, "I've never disagreed with you before," and there's always a but right after that. But today, I do. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it, it'll happen one of these days. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll look forward to the day. But I was calling in about getting the inappropriate books out of schools, and as important as the legislation is, because obviously, when you get this garbage out of the schools, uh, has no place in being there. But uh, yeah. I'm a passionate dad. I have four kids, and it's my job. It's not the school district's job. It's not the voters' job. I am supposed to be the one protecting my children. And so it really does fall to the parents. You know, I've been kicked off of multiple school board calls. I've been muted. I've been kicked out of meetings. I'm that guy. Where and that I'm happy is to a make badge of honor. It is. You're absolutely right. It is. And what's disappointing is, especially on the calls that get kicked off or muted from, the, from being on the computer with these calls, it's... You see the sidebar where all the comments are, thank you for saying something. Someone had to say, you know, one after another after another. It gets lit up like a Christmas tree. But no one else says anything. No one else does anything. You know, where are the leaders in our homes protecting these children? Isn't that sad? It is. It's really frustrating. It's really frustrating. But it is our fault. It's not just the school board's fault. It is our fault as the parents that when our school has 600 kids, that we don't have 1,200 parents at that school board meeting and laying down what needs to happen. It, well, it rests on us. But Part of it on us. But, Brad, when you hire somebody, even if it's a volunteer on a school board, and you say, we're willing to let you do the job, you need to un- they yeah. need to understand the job. And the job is not to represent their own point of view. Now, they can come out and tell people, vote for me because I have th- these points of view on these various subjects. And, and voters can say, well... That sounds like somebody who would accurately represent my point of view, too. But I see people, and there's, who is it? What's her name? Tamara Simmons or something. She's in the Washington legislature. She is the kind of selfish person that you don't want anywhere near the legislature. She is a convicted criminal. She's done her time. I get that. She's been on drugs before. So she goes to the legislature, and all she does is stuff related to criminals and druggies. And you say, well, is your job? To just represent the people in the community who are con- are convicted criminals or or would be criminals or accused criminals and druggies, and the answer would have to be no. The vast majority of communities have a tiny percentage of criminals and druggies, and the vast majority are law-abiding citizens who are not addicted. When you get on the school board, you are there to represent the people who voted for you. And it may be that there are times where you say, "Hey, this is the best thing for the kids. It's what my constituents want." even though I personally disagree. And again, they should wear it as a badge of honor. Say, I'm going to vote for something that if it were just me, I'd vote for it, but my constituents don't want it. It's not good for the kids. I'm going to vote against it, and I wish we had more of that. Let me go to a naysayer, Michelle. Hey, Michelle, welcome to the program. Thanks for listening on our uh, network and on our flagship station, KXL. You're a naysayer. What do you and I disagree about on First Amendment Friday? Well, I heard you talking about the uh, the... Canadian people, and in Oregon, where I I live, uh, <laughs> allowing people to end their life if they have some kind of disease. Oh, hold on. Oh, shoot. 
We've got, uh, I'll tell you what, I'm going to see if we can get Michelle back because I wanted to hear what she had to say. The call got dropped, and that was my fault. So, Michelle, call back in, and I'll get your call back on the line. I want to see what she has to say because she's going to support doctor-assisted suicide. So I'll go to Chris in the meantime. Hey, Chris, welcome to First Amendment Friday. I'm going to cut you off if Michelle calls back. What's on your mind? Okay, well, do love your show, Lars. Um, thinking you. about running for office, you have about one month to register for most federal and state offices. So people who are really thinking about it, this is the only chance to really make a change. You have to get on the ballot. We have to get the right candidates that we can vote for first. On that note, I'm thinking about running for office in my local city, and I found a very interesting obstruction. I have to go into the office of the person I'm proposing to run against before I even plan to run. So they're going to have about wow. a month of... Uh, of time ahead of me to do opposition research and that sort of thing. This is. I'll tell you what. Hold that thought for a moment, Michelle. I'm sorry, we're, we're, we got you dropped. What do you and I disagree about about a doctor-assisted suicide? Well, I think it's an act of mercy. Um, some people, the people get that choice. It's not the doctors killing people. It's not the doctor's choice. Then don't involve the state. In other words, if, if somebody wants to kill himself, I won't endorse it, but I can't stop him or her. But when you come to the state and say, I want the state's assistance, I want the state to say it's okay to kill people, uh, even if it's yourself, and I want the state to provide the doctor the legal permission to give me the drugs, you're involving everybody else in your state, and I think that's wrong. The Lars Larson Show. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com. Welcome to First Amendment Friday on the Lars Larson Show. Happy Friday. Friday is for everybody. Today, Lars puts you in the driver's seat. You talk about what you want to talk about. Government is the problem. No topic is off limits. You're lying dog face pony soldier. Call 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-HEY-LARS. Thank you. Thank goodness it's Friday. Happy Friday. Friday. This is... This is... First Amendment Friday with Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on First Amendment Friday. And you got to ask yourself, why is the government, in this case the federal government, but aided and abetted by state governments, why are they trying to drag young workers into communism? And I'm going to tell you exactly what I'm talking about. It has to do with tips. 
And uh, I'll get to that in just a moment. First, welcome to the program. If you want to jump in to the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. If you happen to be a naysayer, that is, you disagree with me, we'll put you right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. You can send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. You can vote in our poll on X. We used to call it the Twitter poll. Now it's X. Here's the question today. Joe Biden's own Department of Justice has decided that even though he willfully committed crimes, he stole classified documents, he held on to those classified documents, and he shared those classified documents with people who didn't have the security clearance to see them. In fact, one of them was to aid and abet his ghostwriter as he was doing his memoir since an awful lot of, uh, you know, former presidents and vice presidents make millions of dollars by writing a book that they don't actually write. So, he was sharing classified documents, he committed crimes, but his own DOJ says that Joe Biden is too senile, that he has no memory for recent things or distant things, that he doesn't remember when he was vice president, and that was only seven years ago. He doesn't remember when his son died, that was only nine years ago. Is he too senile for the presidency? Glad to get your vote in that. Just go to at Lars Larson Show on X, also on our website at LarsLarson.com. And already there are calls to use the 25th Amendment, which ordinarily deals with secession if a president dies an untimely death. But in the case of the 25th Amendment, it was it was a change that allowed a president to be removed over his own objections for in, what they call incapacity. So in other words, if Joe Biden is too senile to be able to be president, others within the government, including his cabinet officers, the vice president, and members of the House of Representatives could decide to remove him. Is it time to deploy the 25th Amendment? And I understand the objection that some of you are going to raise, that we get stuck with cackling Kamala Harris, the current vice president, becomes the president of the United States. And you're right. She's pretty dumb. I mean, her approval ratings are even lower than Joe's approval ratings, and Joe's approval ratings with Americans are rock bottom right now. Yes, you get stuck with Kamala Harris. So does the Democrat Party. And I guess you'd have to ask yourself, is it worse that Joe Biden is senile and somebody else is clearly calling the shots, think Barack Hussein Obama, or would it be worse to have somebody who's as dumb as a bag of hammers like Kamala Harris? I don't know. It's kind of flip a coin, six of one, uh, half dozen the other. Glad to take your calls, though, at 866-HEY-LARS. Let me tell you about this tip thing, though, because I've never held a tip job in my life. Uh, but Tina and I will give tips for good service. In, in fact, over the years, we've been very, very generous with some people when we're very impressed. And we very rarely ever said we're not going to leave a tip at all. But I got to tell you about one of the things that irritates me the most about tipping is that whether you see it happening or not, in many places, if you see a young man or woman who gives very, very good service, could be a restaurant, could be a bar, could be a number of occasions, and you say, I want to give this person a tip, except that if the restaurant or the bar has a tip sharing program, where the, all of the waiters, all the service people uh, end up putting their tips in together, and then they divide up the money among all of the workers, you're not giving a tip to that person. You're giving it to the group. 
And it may be that there are people in that group who are absolutely terrible at their jobs. And it may be that there are people who are great at their jobs, and yet they're all going to share equally in the tips. That part I knew was in existence, and I've always disliked it. And I've told weight people, I've said, look, if I give you a tip, does it actually go to you? You're going to end up sharing it with somebody else. What I didn't know was this. Number one, the U.S. government says that if the restaurant or bar has a tip sharing program, all those tips have to be shared equally, number one. And number two, the people who are in management, supervisors and managers, may not participate in the tip sharing program now uh, recently there have been a number of restaurants and pizza joints and things like that who've all been tagged by the government that says you're illegally taking people's tips because you have a tip sharing program but all the wait staff get a share but so do the managers and the supervisors in some case and you're not allowed to include those people now, you understand what's going on. In some ways, it allows a restaurant or a bar or some other kind of service company to pay their staff less because they know that their customer is going to make up the difference. That's problem number one. Problem number two, when you share tips, you effectively say to the young man or woman who's providing great service that your big tip, your generous tip, is going to be shared with a bunch of people who don't do their job nearly as well as you do. And then when the government says, we will tell the employer how the tips are allowed to be shared. Now, I've talked to wait staff over the years, and they said, oh, if, if you're a good waiter or waitress, you make a big pile of money in tips. But you're supposed to tip out the busboy, and you should tip out the clerk or the, the, the cook. And uh, you should probably tip out the maitre d', the person who's standing at the front who walks you to your table. Uh, and if you don't do that, they don't appreciate it very much, but it's your decision. I think that's at least a lot more honest than having any kind of tip sharing. But now that they've said we're going to put tip sharing into federal labor law and insist that all tips have to be shared equally, that is a form of communism. Because what they're saying is doesn't matter if you work hard or if you don't work hard at all, no matter whether you get a big bunch of tips or a small bunch of tips, everybody gets paid the same. And I think that's just dead wrong. It should not be happening that way. In any case, I thought I'd start us off with that. It is First Amendment Friday. Let's go first to Rob. Hey, Rob, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? So I don't disagree with you, but the disagreement part of the whole thing, which you were mentioning in the last segment of the DOJ, essentially forgiving the idiot in the office for having dementia and forgetful, he came on, I mean, he was on, uh, I can't remember if it was on last night, but I saw him yesterday. Yeah, saying, the press I'm perfectly last fine. Night. My memory is great. So, you know, what's, what's going on well, here? Well, let me tell you the something, Rob. Says one thing well, and he no, says let the me other. tell you something. He starts into a story, my memory is great, because they said he didn't even remember when his son died, which was only about... Uh, 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 nine years ago yeah. is when his son died. And he said, because I carry a rosary with me every day that we got from the lady of the... And then you see him go blank. So you say he's trying to prove to Americans he has a really solid memory of his son's passing and the artifact that he carries with him, that rosary, 
except he can't remember where it came from. He can only remember it was some church that starts with a lady of. You know, this guy has lost it, and he demonstrates that. He held that press conference to try to demonstrate to everybody last night that he's still got a firm grip on his memory and his mind, and then he proved that he didn't. Back in a moment, you're listening to The Lars Larson Show and the Radio Northwest Network. Well, I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. No need to adjust your volume. He's just that loud. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show on First Amendment Friday. I'll get back to your calls in a moment, but i got to tell you about this. So you've got the DOJ. This is Joe Biden's DOJ that in, assigns a special investigator, Mr. Herr, uh, to go out and investigate Joe Biden's theft of classified documents. Now, I know I'm going to get a bunch of nasty emails saying, Lars, they didn't say he stole the documents. Well, let me put it to you this way. If somebody takes something that they have no right under law to take, like your car or your wallet, and then they keep it, I call that theft. I think the U.S. Code may have a different description of it. But when Joe Biden, 50 years ago, in 1974, was a United States senator, he took classified documents from the government where he worked as a U.S. senator, and he took them home. How do I know this? Because Joe Biden has done television interviews in which he said, oh, I've been doing this since 1974, taking home classified documents. So you take something that does not belong to you. You then hang on to it, and then, in violation of other laws, you decide to share classified documents with people who have no business seeing them at all. Well, the special counsel's report uh, came back uh, yesterday, about 380 pages of it in total. It was very, very detailed. And what they said was, Joe Biden willfully took classified documents. That is against the law, and I'll get into some of the details. And what does the White House do? They immediately come out and they try to say, no, 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 you read it wrong. Now, this is one of the worst cases of gaslighting I've ever seen, where the White House counsel comes out to say, uh, no, no, we've read the report, too. It absolutely cleared Joe Biden that he did nothing wrong. Take a listen to Ian Sams from the White House counsel's office. The special counsel decided that there was no case there 
Notably, he said this would be true whether President Biden was president or a private citizen. The special counsel's assignment when he was appointed was to determine whether any criminal conduct occurred. He found it didn't. That was the finding. The case is closed. Now, that's Ian Sams. He says case closed, no wrongdoing. Let me read what the special counsel actually wrote. Biden willfully retained and disclosed classified materials, including classified materials that, quote, implicating sensitive intelligence sources and methods. That is against the law. That is not case closed. Then Sam says that he believes that Biden believes that he did everything right in his mishandling of classified documents. No, he did not. Take a listen to Ian Sam's talking about how serious this was. Because the president takes classified information seriously. He always has. He did not intentionally take classified documents. He understands documents like that belong with the government. He never, never made any attempt to obstruct. Now, hold on a second. So he says that as president, Joe Biden took classified documents or takes classified documents seriously. You mean the classified documents that he says he never even knew he had, which I think is provably a lie, because Joe Biden would have you believe in today uh, in the press conference that he held last night, Joe Biden said, well, he threw his staff under the bus, basically, because he said, well, I had these things, but I didn't know they were there. Somebody brought them home to my office. Now, I want you to consider something. Joe Biden left the vice president's office seven years ago, and he was out of politics for about two years. So the documents get moved to his home. Then he gets a job with the university, uh, with UPenn. UPenn is a private college, and Joe Biden was brought on as a professor, and he brags about how he was a professor at UPenn, even though he never taught any classes, he never wrote any articles or did any research. He got paid a million bucks for just nothing more than having his name there. But what UPenn also did was two things. Right after Joe Biden goes to work for them, guess what happens? The Chinese communists put tens of millions of dollars into the University of Pennsylvania. That's one. Then two, University of Pennsylvania, which is paying Joe Biden a million bucks for doing exactly nothing, says we're going to sponsor and pay for the cost of the Biden, the uh, the uh, Penn Biden Center is what they called it. So it was you, Penn and Joe Biden. So they had this little think tank center that set up. Now, it at least cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. It might have cost millions of dollars because it's a private university. You can't really find out exactly how much money was spent, but they provide Joe Biden with this little think tank. Where were some of the documents found? At the think tank. Where did the money come from to pay for it? Well, like I said, as soon as they brought Joe Biden on, the Chinese communist money bags opened up. And they got tens of millions of dollars. My recollection is it was somewhere between 30 and 40 million dollars in donations that mysteriously come into UPenn right after Joe Biden goes on the payroll for a million dollars for doing nothing. And what do they find in the closet at the UPenn Biden Center, the ChiCom funded think tank that Joe Biden maintained while he was a professor at University of Pennsylvania? They find stacks of documents. And Joe would have you believe 
Yeah, these all these boxes of things got moved out of the vice president's office to my home, and then from my home to UPenn, and then somebody just mysteriously finds all these documents in my closet. And when did they find them? They found them after the FBI had raided Donald Trump at Mar-a-Lago. And why is that important? Well, let me point this out to you. You've got Joe Biden, who the special counsel says willfully retained and disclosed classified materials, including sensitive intelligence sources and methods. But the DOJ says because Joe is so senile that he can't, they don't use the word senile because they said his memory is so poor that he could not remember when he was vice president, which, as I said, is seven years ago. He could not remember when his son died, which is nine years ago. He regularly and routinely mixes up foreign heads of state. In the last week, Joe Biden has come out and told reporters that he remembers meeting one foreign head of state who he identified as the president of or, uh, chancellor of Germany, when in fact he meant the president of France. And he tells calls him by the wrong name. And the problem is Joe Biden remembers meeting him after Joe Biden became president, when in fact the guy died 30 years ago. He also misidentified another head of state, you know, and, and misidentified him as well. He's been dead as well. And he was dead before Joe Biden ever became president. So Joe couldn't have possibly met him as president of the United States. And then last night, Joe Biden holds this news conference in which he tries to repair the damage that's been done by a DOJ report from his own Department of Justice. In other words, he's saying that his own DOJ is attacking him by suggesting that he is so out of it, he remembers almost nothing, and he gets into talking about other things. He says, why, I was the person who was negotiating with the president of Mexico about getting more aid to the people in Gaza. And all of us watching it went, hold on a second, you don't negotiate with Mexico against Gaza, about Gaza, you're talking about Egypt, Joe, except somehow you've mixed up Egypt and Mexico, and you can't figure out which end is up and which end is down. But the White House counsel would say, no, they cleared him. He did no wrong. Only that's not what they said. They said he did things that were illegal. We can't prosecute him because a jury would take too much sympathy on a doddering, senile old fool like Joe Biden. You're listening to The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. When he talks, you have no choice but to listen. More with Lars. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on a First Amendment Friday. Always glad to get your calls, too, at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. You can vote in our poll on X, which used to be called Twitter. Uh, the poll question today has to do with whether or not if Joe Biden is too senile to be prosecuted, according to his own DOJ, is he too senile to be president? You can vote on that as well. It's a pleasure to welcome back Miles Yu, who's the senior fellow and director of the China Center at the Hudson Institute. Miles, good to have you back. Thank you for having me, Lars. 
So we've had the election recently of the new president of Taiwan, and it appears that this new president is going to be a, uh, should I call the president a, a staunch Taiwanese nationalist? Is that the best way to describe this person? I, you know, um, it's, uh, you know, when you call somebody a nationalist, uh, of course, you know, in terms of substance, uh, he is. He's proud of his country. He's proud of the uh, institution that brought him to presidency. But, uh, you know, uh, when China called uh, president-elect Lai Qingde, William Lai, a nationalist, is actually uh, supposed to be an attack word. So, <laughs> I um, so I don't think that's a, yeah. So this, uh, this, is, this is basically, you know, uh, you, uh, how politics is played in different kind of a political context. It's funny because the, the terminology screws us up. He's actually with the Democratic Progressive Party, which in America would mean you were Chuck Schumer or, uh, you know, or AOC. But in, but in Taiwan, the Democratic Progressive Party is the one that believes in maintaining Taiwan's independence from mainland China and being very staunchly anti-communist, right? Well, I think, you know, uh, uh, let me put it this way. Uh, Taiwan politics has evolved quite a bit since the late 1970s, and particularly after uh, uh, President Jiang Jingguo uh, passed away, he passes baton to a new generation of Taiwanese politicians, uh, headed by uh, former President Li Denghui. Now, Li Denghui really is the father of Taiwanese democracy. So he introduced not only the, uh, the practice of a democratic election, but also he participated in some kind of a pretty like a far-sighted um, uh, uh, vision uh, about the future of Taiwan. So eventually right now, the issue of independence or in unification is not really that kind of a big deal because every party who participates in the democratic process in Taiwan recognize the future of Taiwan is going to be decided by Taiwanese people themselves. And uh, so Taiwan basically, um, everybody wants to maintain status quo. So the key issue is what is the status quo? And the consensus, or near consensus, I might say, is status quo is independence. Now, where is he going to take the country then? Where, where do you think he's going to change things, if if change at all? I think, you know, the uh, the sheer reality is that uh, Taiwan faces a, uh, a existential threat from China. That has been there for decades. So no matter which political position you take, you will always have to come to that uh, sheer reality. So for that, you not only have to stick to your principle, but also there is a great amount of uh, practicality involved. So I think, you know, a uh, uh, person like Lai, when he was younger, he was a politician appealing to sort of a, this concept of nationhood, the, the pride of being Taiwanese. Uh, so he was known as some kind of firebrand. But now, after serving four years as a vice president under the very uh, sophisticated and skilled politician, uh, incumbent uh, president, Ogun president, Tsai Ing-wen, uh, he has become, uh, uh, he has transformed himself from a firebrand uh, to a statesman. So if you look at his, uh, his speeches after, uh, during the campaign and after the, uh, the, the election, he, he made some very, very good speech that uh, both, uh, uh, sort of, you know, uh, 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 conforms to Taiwanese reality, uh, but also uh, um, uh, is very practical. So you make your all sides uh, kind of uh, feel comfortable with him, I might say. I mean, uh, as, long as, uh, as long as China don't be uh, pretty uh, picky and, and, and pesky. And then sometimes, they, China, sometimes there's no issue. China wants to pick an issue to fight it.
Yeah, and it sounds like they're they're kind of looking for an excuse right now. Miles, thank you very much. I appreciate the time. No problem. That is Miles Hughes from the Hudson Institute. It is First Amendment Friday. I want to go to a naysayer, and that's Alma. Alma, welcome to the program. You know how much we love naysayers on this program. What do you and I disagree about today? Well, we really disagree on this one. We have a very, very apt vice president named Kalama Harris. She can take over on day one. Joe is doing a great job. Couldn't do any better for the poor, for the needy and the poor people and for the country. And Trump didn't even know who Nancy Pelosi was. And then after he knew who she was, he didn't know where she was in the Congress or the Senate. And then nobody said it. And then he can't even count back for five. Now, now hold on, Alma. Can you tell me this? When you say Joe, I'll take you at your word. Joe Biden is doing a great job. Can you tell me yes. one thing, one major thing he's done that was positive for America in the last three years? Oh, my God, I, I could go down the line. No, Everything no, just give me the biggest one. In. Give me wait, the wait, biggest, wait. best thing you. he's done. Okay. I'm going to tell you, when he walked in that White House, was the best thing he did for the American people. He opened up medicine where we can get our, I'm a diabetic, right? And I can get my medicine cheap. And if, if, if the Republicans get in that, they're going to cut up all that. He went to the student laws and, and, and got the students. Those students out there who holler, they don't like Biden. They better wake the heck up. But Elma, Elma you, you're aware that Donald Trump had already put in place a program that brought the cost of insulin down. Biden came in and revoked the program and recreated the problem and then solved the problem. I mean, that was a joke. And as for giving away, you know, paying off, why should the rest of American taxpayers pay the student loan debt of young men and women who took on loans to get an education? And whether they got it or not, that's up to them. Why should the rest of Americans, 70% of whom have never had a shot at a college degree, why should they pay the bill for these deadbeat students who don't don't want to pay? You, you're wrong, Lars, and you're a great guy. You're a Christian. Why would you call them deadbeat? They uh, anybody who doesn't pay his know. bills is a deadbeat in my book. Now, would you agree? Okay, but a greater good of society. But look at, look at uh, Trump. He haven't paid anything. He got that $83 million he don't want to pay. He got all these. Don't change the sub. Don't change the subject. I want to know. A young man or woman says, "I want to go to college." They borrow a pile of money. Then they get the college that they wanted, and they don't want to pay the money back. Why should we forgive them that debt? Well, why you saying all of them do that? You pay paying the whole college. Well, Joe Biden. Joe Biden's first proposal. Joe Biden's first proposal. Alma, Joe Biden's first proposal, which was shot down by the Supreme Court as unconstitutional, was to pay off half a trillion dollars in debt. I'm not saying everybody, but that's a, that's a lot of debt. They're not, it's a lot of debt. From the, the, what, what did Trump do better than that? all that debt he, he had? Up. Why is it always about Trump? I want to know. He you're telling me that, that Joe Biden's a good guy. Trump gave all the money to the trillion and billionaire. None said about that, Lord. Actually, the, the tax that. cut that was passed by the U.S. Congress and signed by President Trump gave actually the greatest percentage of tax cuts to the low and middle class and, and the smallest percentage cuts to those people at the upper end of the scale.
So, but go back to the uh, go back to the student debt. You said paying off student debt was one of Joe's accomplishments. He hasn't managed to do what he first proposed, which was half a trillion dollars. Why should people who never went to college pay off the college debt of deadbeats who don't want to pay their bills? You, why you keep paying them as a broad brush? Everybody don't not want to pay their bill. Well, everybody who doesn't want to pay a bill that they took on in my book is a deadbeat. Alma, you're a great naysayer. Thanks for the call. Back in a moment. It's First Amendment Friday, and you've got the Lars Larson Show. I'm on the phone today with David Moore from IRA Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about self-directed IRAs. But how do you explain them to your customers? Well, Lars, through our working careers, we accumulate savings in our 401k plans. So rather than just rolling those funds over when you leave your job, you may want to think about setting up a truly self-directed IRA. With a self-directed IRA, your retirement portfolio can include real estate, precious metals, cryptocurrency, notes, loans, and even a new business startup. So with a self-directed IRA, you're not limited to equities like stocks and bonds? Exactly. There are so many more options that you can consider for your retirement portfolio. Would you like to learn more about self-directed IRAs? Then go to iraadvantage.com, view the videos, and then let the self-directed IRA professionals at IRA Advantage set up a self-directed IRA for you. Your retirement, your way. Visit the professionals today at iraadvantage.com. The Zoom meeting you actually want to be at. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. It's a pleasure to be with you on a First Amendment Friday. Glad to get your phone calls and emails. Let me go first to naysayer JC. Hey, JC, welcome to the Radio Northwest Network. What's on your mind? Uh, yes, good afternoon, Lars. How you doing? I'm doing quite well. Do we disagree hey, about um, something? Yes, yes. Um, obviously, you've been already told what I dis disagree on you with. is um, but the Trump said that um, he's going to do some mass deportations of the illegals that Biden let in. God and, bless him. He didn't, he didn't mention. He didn't. Uh, yeah, I, I know you're a Christian, and that's what a good Christian would do. Um, but he didn't mention the five million that he let in. And how? And I, I just want to know how he's going to deport all these people. Is he going to grab a page out of Hitler's playbook? You think that's what he's going to do, Lars? I know you're a smart well, hold man. On. Right? Well, hold on, hold on, hold on, JC. <laughs> Hitler was a mass murderer. There are lots of American presidents of both parties who've engaged in mass deportation. Hoover did, Truman did, Eisenhower did, and and so I don't see how. Deporting people, which is a legal process where you apprehend I them, agree. I you, agree. you, you I apprehend agree. them, and then you deport them. How does that compare in any way, shape, or form to mass murder? No, the way he round, how are you going to round them up, Lars? Are they just going to? Oh, gonna, it'll uh, be easy. Say, no, um, it'll be easy. Yeah, the first thing you oh, could do, no, all you've got to do is say, we're going to pass a law, we're, we're going to change the IRS. So that the There's IRS says, hold on, if you want to keep interrupting me, Nacy, uh, JC, we're not going to get anywhere. <laughs> but if you don't want to hear it, I'm glad for you not to hear it. Thank you for the call. Let's go to Chris. Hey, Chris, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? 
Hey, Lars, just wanted to follow up. Love your show. You are the best uh, campaign advisor and the cheapest one anybody <laughs> could possibly want if they're running for office. And that, I mean it, really. That's exactly what I'm calling about. Um, I called in last week, and I want to just remind people we have about a month. Everybody should go to their local city or county election website, see who's running, see who's not, find an office. We've got to get smart people in office so we can make change. If we don't get people on the ballot, nothing's ever going to change. So that's number one. Number okay. two, in my city – oh, go ahead. Uh, no, I said go ahead. I think that's that's good. Oh. It's good to encourage people because, frankly, I don't think there should ever be an open seat or an available election where you don't have a conservative running for every single office that's available. Exactly, or an unopposed seat. So that's my strategy. I've run in the last two elections on a minimum budget just to kind of really get involved in the process. And I actually made it through the primary in 2020, so got a little bit of election experience. But I'm looking at a local office this time, and the complications of dealing with this in the advanced election interference, here's what I'm up against. I have to go to the city clerk who's in the same office for the mayor, you know, the mayor and the council who I may be running for. So by the time I submit my paperwork, they're going to have probably 14 to 30 days of advanced notice with uh, time to do opposition research and get a jump on my campaign. I'm That's not going to okay, run. Isn't it? Well, it is, but uh, what I prefer, and this is just a campaign strategy thing, all of my strategies have always involved doing a last-minute filing. So I wait until the last day, basically, to file before I put my candidacy out there, and I have right. reasons for that. They may be good or bad, but I don't always expect to win, and I don't run on a big budget, so I'm not always the top voter. But in this case, I think I really need to um, just bring up the fact that it's more complicated. I have to go to my city clerk, who, of course, is going to run to the mayor or the city council and say, hey, this person's running now. No, and then but, they have but to go hold to on, county. Chris. Chris, yeah. anybody who files to run for an office, anybody who wants to see that public record can see it. That's always been true. Right, but the later the better from a campaign standpoint. Well, my I, I don't know. I, I, I like the idea that if you're going to run for a big office, not city council or county commission, you should probably start running and let everybody know you're running a couple of years, a years ahead of time. Will they do oppo research? Sure. Is your is your background clean? Is your skeleton is your closet full of skeletons? That's your problem. You got to solve that. But Chris, do you know what I wish every candidate who's running would do? I t I've told this to a thousand people. I swear nobody listens. But I can't tell you the number of times I get somebody on who says I'm running for county commissioner, city councilor, state legislature. I say, okay, what are the three biggest issues that you want to address in running for that office? You know, what, what, what's at the top of your list? You may have a list that's 50 items long. What are the top three? And most of the candidates don't know, or they can't answer that question. That's pathetic. Well, except that you're running for city council. How are you going to lower property taxes? Uh, by voting everything I can to lower property taxes. And I said taxes, but also well, fees, so shouldn't fees yeah, and taxes. Okay, okay fair enough. Uh, but but the second thing is, I'll ask you one of my favorite questions. You're going to run for city council, is that right? That's, that's what I'm thinking, yes. Okay, what is something a city department or agency currently does that the city does not need to be doing and should not be doing right now? They just put over $200,000 towards an office of diversity, equity, inclusion. Okay, and perfect, thing I'm gonna perfect. in the budget. And you probably saw that Ben West from uh, Clackamas County managed to get rid of that entire office. He got the county uh, commission to vote to get rid of the, the DEI office. And they saved, I think it was almost $900,000. And they simply said, we're going to zero that one out. That's a great issue to run on. That's just one. 
one. But I appreciate your time today, and I just want to point out that everybody should get involved. If we don't run now, we're going to have the same choices. So you can go to the Oregon Secretary of State website. You can go to your county election website, your city election website. Get involved. Get your friends involved. You've got about a month to get it together. It's actually a lot of fun, and if you want to really get involved in the public process, you know, file a candidacy for election. See what happens. And, so, and by the way, run for school board as well. That's been one of my other pieces of advice that nobody seems to listen to. Run for the school board. In both Oregon and Washington, school boards control an awful lot of the money that goes to public education. And these days, they also control, for a time, uh, the kind of indoctrination that kids get in public schools. You've got the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. With me on the phone today is David Moore with Equity Advantage. David, for more than 15 years, I've been telling my listeners about 1031 exchanges. But how do you explain it to customers? Well, Lars, 1031 exchanges are over 100 years old at this point. They allow people to exchange out of one property into another, keeping their equity intact. For example, let's say you own an apartment building and you'd like a larger one. You can sell the property, pay the tax, or you can do an exchange deferring all capital gains tax. Is it complicated? It can be complicated, but the exchange can be as simple as selling one property and buying another using the professionals at Equity Advantage. Would you like to learn more about 1031 exchanges? Then go to 1031exchange.com, view the videos, and then let the 1031 exchange professionals at Equity Advantage show you how it can work for you. You've worked hard for your money. Let Equity Advantage work hard to keep it yours. Visit 1031exchange.com.